0: This is your Tuesday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. Happy to be back with you guys for another day and a great show coming up. It's going to be pretty NFL heavy. That's how Tuesdays are going to go here a lot during the NFL season. Andrew Kramer from the Star Tribune joins me here in just a few minutes for a film review of Sunday's game. What went wrong on the offensive line in particular that didn't give the Vikings enough room to run in particular and had Kirk Cousins under duress on some key plays. It's a familiar refrain. Had chances to upgrade the offensive line in the offseason. Decided to go with continuity, and I'm not sure that was the right decision. Um, and also the defense, which 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 was improved to a degree, but still gave up some points when it matters most. I put most of that loss on the offense, but still a look at the defense, some different things that Brian Flores did as opposed to Ed Donatel last year, and maybe where other teams might try to counterattack those things, having seen now what Flores will do with this defense. So Andrew and I will break that all down. Also, have some award-winning Vikings poetry back for another season, and uh, we'll get to that after Andrew as well. Just a fun way to recap the uh, the twenty to seventeen loss to the Buccaneers in a short week. Um, of course, they play Vikings play at Philadelphia in just two nights, so there'll be an Access Vikings podcast probably later today, spinning ahead to that. So football, football, football. Um, probably a good time to mention, do to that tomorrow. show will be Gopher football heavy. Randy Johnson expected to join me ahead of that game in North Carolina on Saturday. A big one. Um, one of my one I'm excited for because I'm going to be there um, visiting uh, visiting friends, visiting with with friends, visiting uh, my good friend Keith, who actually is the uh, the co conspirator on the uh, poetry section of this podcast in just a little while. Um some twins thoughts at the end of the show. First though, what did I miss? Big story from Monday. Aaron Rodgers injured early in his Jets debut on Monday night football. They called it an ankle injury initially, but then started to say no probably an Achilles injury and if it's a bad Achilles injury that is going to be very bad for Aaron Rodgers and the Jets could be bad enough that it keeps him out for the rest of the season and a guy who's 39 right now, almost 40, you're starting to talk about questions about whether that could have been his last snap of his career. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. We don't know the full diagnosis yet. There's a lot of Twitter diagnosis going on based on what happened to his left leg in that on that play early in the game. Now the Jets did manage to rally and win in overtime. Not so much behind Zach Wilson, the uh, the former high draft pick who's now thrust back in into the spotlight. He did okay managing the game, but if he, if they have to turn it back over to him for the rest of the season, that is going to be an interesting proposition for them. Again, such an, such an off-season story, the off-season drama of Aaron Rodgers. Will he stay in Green Bay? Will he get traded? The whole off-season of him in New York, going to all these events in New York, making himself kind of the face of the city, and then well, I think it was the fourth play from scrimmage for the Jets in his much-anticipated debut, debut, Monday Night Football, he gets hurt, and we'll wait for the full diagnosis, but some cautionary tales in all of this, I would think, um, and and one reason perhaps the Packers, uh, even if they don't uh, have any love for Aaron Rodgers anymore, Rodgers anymore should be rooting for his speedy recovery. That being, they get a first round pick in 2024 if he plays 65% of the snaps this season. That seemed to be a slam dunk as long as he wasn't injured. Well, first game of the season he's injured. If he misses six or seven games, he's not going to play 65% of the snaps for the, for the Jets this season. That pick would be a second round pick, still value, but not nearly as valuable as a potential first round pick would be for the from the Jets. So that's a reason the Packers should be holding out hope that he is healthy. Um another cautionary tale too is, you know, we we kind of we maybe have this misinterpretation of Rodgers of being not as durable, but he had played aside from missing a game with COVID a couple of years ago. I think he'd played I was looking this up earlier. He had played every game. He had made every start in eight of the past nine seasons for the Packers. The lone exception, of course, being 2017 when he was knocked to the ground by Anthony Barr against the Vikings and missed the last nine games of that year as the Vikings took control of the division race. So that piece of it was you know, pretty interesting that, that he, you know, we have this idea that he's not durable. He was very durable, including the last five years with the Packers making all the starts except for the, the missed game with COVID. But like I said, he's almost 40. Those soft tissues, take take it from me or take it from Aaron Rodgers, those soft tissues as you get older, and I'm, you know, six, seven years older than Aaron Rodgers, they do not rebound the way they used to. And this was a, this was a risk by the Jets. Imagine if... When the Vikings got Brett Favre and Brett Favre had a much greater legacy of durability, but Aaron Rodgers not that far behind in terms of how much he's actually played. Imagine if Brett Favre had been injured on the, in the first game of that Vikings year in 2009, how disappointing, how deflating it would have been to go right back to the old quarterback situation to the wondering if you were going to be able to score enough points to win with what you'd hoped was a good defense. And the Jets still have a very good defense. They could still be okay this season, but that piece of it to me is very interesting. That uh, you know th- that we're talking about now. A guy who you know approaching forty. This was a risk that we didn't really talk about. The other thing we didn't really talk about is apparently in mid-August he l- he clutched his calf, his left calf during a practice. I was reading back on this. Now he heard his. I think he heard his right calf during OTAs in like May so this is not the same calf he apparently tweaked in May but in August like a little less than a month ago he was clutching his left calf and the calf the calf strain is directly related sometimes to the Achilles problems if they if there's weakness in the calf that puts strain on the Achilles I think we saw that with Kevin Durant a couple uh, a couple of years ago with Golden State um, you know we heard we know all about calf strains from Carl Anthony Towns last year with the Timberwolves but If that was a precursor to this, if he played through something that seemed minor and then came away with this major injury, that will be an interesting narrative to follow. But the biggest thing, Aaron Rodgers out and probably out for the foreseeable future. We'll find out more today, but tough blow for the Jets. You don't want to see anybody get hurt. I've obviously talked about Aaron Rodgers a lot over the years. I've got feelings about him as a person that have evolved over time. I think he's an amazing quarterback, though I wanted to see what he would do with the Jets this season, and we might be deprived of of a pretty interesting story if this is indeed an injury that requires a lot of time to heal. So we'll have to wait and see on that, but you know, or a Vikings fan, this is this is one one more point too. Um, Kirk Cousins has been awfully durable. I know I know Rodgers has been pretty durable. Kirk Cousins hasn't missed a start due to injury since 2015. It is nice to have that. It's nice to have somebody you know you can count on from an injury standpoint. Someone who you know is still not forty. He's about to be thirty. You know, he's thirty five, but he's not forty. That's different. And someone like that, they they know they can count on as opposed to, A, either a rookie or a young quarterback like Zach Wilson or an aging veteran like Aaron Rodgers. He does fall into the middle ground in good or bad, and this is a case where you probably are happy. You have the durability of the quarterback on your side if you are the Vikings. Grand Casino would like to take a moment and salute the true football fan.
1: The passion. The hope. The anticipation. That incomparable feeling of winning. Grand Casino would also like to take a moment to remind you that you can find all that anticipation, thrill, and winning at Grand Casino. Grand Casino, let your story begin.
0: Got Andrew Kramer with me. I'm excited. We're back into kind of the uh, back in the swing of the NFL season. A weird week um, for a lot of us, Andrew, just because of the Thursday night game. But this segment will regularly appear on. Tuesdays um, a little film review of what we saw rewinding what happened in the Vikings games and these were overwhelmingly positive last year Andrew they won 13 of their 17 games and usually when we got to this point it was like okay there were some flaws but they overcame them so here's kind of what they can improve on here's what they can fix as they try to get better but they're still winning that was not the case uh, Sunday, Andrew. They lose twenty to seventeen to Tampa Bay. The mistakes that you know some of them were familiar, which we'll get into here in a minute. The, some of the familiar mistakes they couldn't overcome them. The turnovers obviously were huge, probably the biggest part of the game. If they win the turnover battle or at least hold it even, I think they win that game. You know, reasonably, uh, reasonably comfortably, but they didn't, and now they're the now they're staring down. You know, a short week against the defending NFC champs with the, with the possibility of going zero two, and beyond that, Andrew, some of this, some of the familiar kind of signal flares, alarm bells, whatever you want to call them, they're still there. Starting with the offensive line, from what you could see in watching and rewatching the game.
1: Yeah, I remember last year they started that that O line. They started the first ten games together, yeah. and. That was a lot of the credit to at least coaches gave that a lot of credit to why the offense was so prolific, why the running game was at least mediocre before the injuries started piling up. And now they've already got him. Uh, Garrett Bradbury, chronic back issue, that's popping up again, seven snaps into the game. Uh, he's limping off with a lower back issue. He missed five games with the lower back issue last year. Christian Derisov, to his credit, gutted through an ankle injury, but he wasn't the same player. While he was doing that, he was giving up some pressures in that second half, which is just not obviously like him. Right. And you've got O'Neill coming off the Achilles, looking like a guy who was very much knocking the rust off uh, and not necessarily being the same player or up to that standard that we're used to. And once you and then once you focus on the interior line, you could tell Todd Bowles, the Buccaneers head coach, was very focused on the Vikings interior line because that's where a lot of their pressures were focused. Uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers under Bowles love to blitz, much like the Vikings did on the other side of the ball. And it, Kirk, to his credit in the first half, was very good against it, but it eventually caved in and just wasn't wasn't as effective in the second half. And it's Ed Ingram not taking that step forward that coaches kept talking about. It's Ezra Cleveland blowing a block on Devin White on a tight end screen, one of the many tight end screens that ended up in a loss. Don't get me started. Um, and then your backup center, uh, Austin Schlopman, is a backup for a reason. He's not going to live up to that starter caliber player, and they need the players around him to help, and they don't have that. Their they're interior three remains an incredible weak link. And now without Bradbury in there, uh, it's even more glaring. And Kevin O'Connell said all off season that we've got ways to help our offensive line. We're going to, we understand that this is something that we're going to have to work around. And I just didn't see the answers on Sunday. This offense scored 17 points against a Buccaneers defense that gave up 29 passing touchdowns last year. Uh, Many of these guys returning this year, and they made that defense in Tampa Bay in your own home at U S bank look pretty good. And, and that's just not how this Vikings offense should be. They're loaded from TJ Hawkinson to Addison to Justin Jefferson. These guys are among the most talented skill group in the league, but when you can't control the line of scrimmage, like they still can't, uh, this is what happens. And, and, and you, we, we talk ad nauseum about the effects that that has on Kirk. And I'm sure it's in his head, whether he wants to admit it or not publicly that you know, especially when you're hurting in the third, fourth quarter, that ball's gonna come out quicker. You're gonna miss open guys, and I think we saw some of that as well.
0: That's it's the frustrating thing is that this was a this has been a deficiency for a while, the, the interior of the line at least. I feels like they've they figured out tackle, although, like you said, O'Neal looked a little bit rusty in coming off the Achilles, and Darisaw was limited by that ankle, and we'll see how he is for this kind of short week turnaround against the philadelphia eagles who oh by the way will probably bring some pressure on uh, on thursday night on their home field in prime time um but the the interior of the line they paid some lip service to this offseason saying you know hey these are guys that can still get better we've got ways to help them they didn't really change any personnel though they they you know they brought in was a dalton reisner for a look the guard they, they you know they kind of thought about different things but ultimately stayed in the same place and it looks already like more of the same how is you know how, where do they go from there i guess because you know if you look at it and say it's kind of more of the same in week 1 you don't just say well everything they thought in the off season has to go out the window but it's not a it's not a comforting thing to think that they haven't solved this problem
1: well, and really, how they wanted to balance this offense out was yes. with the run, with the running game, right? right. And, and it's really hard to do that when Alexander Madison is not—he's a power back. He's somebody who will run over a safety when that one guy is left for him in the hole. But when you're getting hit by a defensive lineman two yards behind the line of scrimmage, this is the stuff we saw with Cook last year when the O-line started getting banged up in November and December. The run game really disappeared at the end of last year, and it, I think it's directly tied to the offensive line not being the same. saw missed time with a concussion. Uh, Bradbury missed time with that back injury. That's still an issue, even though he practiced all summer without it being an issue. Um, so their counter punch to get pressure off of Kirk, not only pressure from him having to carry the team, but literal pass rush was to hand the ball off. And they were not able to do that. There was an eight yard run to start the game looked promising. And that was with Bradbury in the game. And then when Bradbury left after seven snaps, they, they couldn't get any of that going. And then Derrissaw gets hurt and the issues just kind of roll downhill And so to me, the most concerning part for the Vikings is, okay, we wanted to take this next step as an offense. We bring in and re-sign Hawkinson. And you again, you bring in Addison to then add even more to that passing game. Well, the issues are still up front, right in front of Kirk in terms of they still can't run the ball. 11 carries for 34 yards for Alexander Madison, Ty Chandler chips in three carries for zero yards. Their screen game didn't look like it was anywhere near uh, uh, acceptable. No, Um, Chandler did have one catch and run for 18 yards, and maybe there's something there on the perimeter that they can get going. But in general, I think O'Connell needs to find or deploy. He's probably got these answers in his playbook, whether he went to him or not, that they got to find ways to get that quick game going, get that pressure off. Because what they want to do is they want to run the ball and they want to set up play action. They want to try and do those deep shots with Jefferson and the post and the corners, the goes. They want to do those vertical routes off of Kirk running the bootlegs. This is still a Rams kind of centric based offense. That is the roots of where Kevin O'Connell is from and what he learned and what they've installed. Um, But too much of it's just gone back on, well, why would the Buccaneers or any defense – uh, have to drop back into coverage if they know they can go five, six wide at the line of scrimmage. Attack the edges, pin down those bootlegs, and really take away your passing game because they know if we put three or four guys in the middle of that defense, you are not going to run against us because you can't block.
0: Yeah, and I thought Madison did an okay job, like turning what could have been two yard losses into two yard gains. And I am just like, kind of looking at his whole game log, like he had he had eleven carries. He had the goal line carry. We got knocked back for three yards. That wasn't good. Of the other 10 carries, though, nine went for at least two yards. So he wasn't putting them in terribly negative situations, which is one of the things they did want from him. But you don't have that kind of... What you don't get from him is that kind of home run threat that Dalvin Cook used to have. Like Alexander Madison's probably not going to run for... 60 yards on a play he might you know he might his chunk plays might be 20 or 25 yards but he's not got that breakaway speed so if you don't have that and you're still kind of limited in you know establishing what he is good at that's 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 problematic because then you're right then it just leads to tee off on Kirk cousins like always
1: yeah and to alex's credit he's he's a very power again very powerful back you saw it on the swing pass for the touchdown he powers through two buccaneers defenders there that's where he's at his best when you can get him in space and have him run over smaller guys, what he can't do and what a younger Dalvin Cook did and Dalvin Cook didn't do this much last year, but when Dalvin's quick feet were as quick as they've ever been, he could dodge defensive linemen that were in the backfield. He could weave his way inside. I saw this with Jameer Gibbs on Thursday night uh, with the Detroit Chiefs game. He was able to make some guys miss with that quickness that we haven't seen from the Vikings backfield from a 27-year-old Dalvin Cook last year who had a lot of carries and a lot of mileage. And Madison doesn't have that mileage, but he's also not that back. Yeah. He's, a, he's the guy who needs a hole, needs a lane, and then can, can at least fall forward and get you some extra yardage once he gets to the second level. This offensive line was not getting him to the second level very often, and so his power is falling forward, as they say, needed to be from like the line of scrimmage for two yards, as you yeah. mentioned. Right. And so that's just the headache that the Vikings have to deal with right now is that if they can't open up lanes, uh, this offense is, remains incredibly one-dimensional.
0: Yeah, let's transition to the defense in a minute. But like, as you think about short week preparing for Philadelphia, trying to either fix some of these things or preparing for Philadelphia to say, okay, I see what happened. I see what worked against you. We're going to do the same thing. Like, what's, what's the chess match now? What can they do better against an, an inarguably a much better opponent? Yeah. I mean, Mac Jones somehow
1: managed to throw for over 300 yards yesterday against this Philadelphia defense. Now there was a lot of pressure on him. The The Patriots obviously didn't win that game, but they had a chance that no one yes. was really giving them a chance to win that game. So I think you got to look and take a page out of their book a little bit of how were they able to pu- push the ball downfield. Uh, the Patriots were missing two of their starting guards in that game. Hmm. So no excuses because the Patriots' offensive line was also ravaged and they were able to at least push the ball downfield a little bit. Um, they've got a better running game than the Vikings have had under Kevin O'Connell. Um, I think this Eagles secondary looked vulnerable, um, but the Buccaneers secondary is also vulnerable. And we saw that Kirk threw for what 350 yards. Yeah, they just didn't get into the end zone. Justin Jefferson didn't score a touchdown. Addison had that lone touchdown for them as well as Madison. Um, I think when you go into Philadelphia on a short week, you got to hope that you can get some big plays. This is not an offense that you should be banking on. We're going to, you know, march down the field in 10, 15 play drives because we can be that consistent in the short game. They need to spring Hawkinson loose, Jefferson loose. They need to try to find that home run threat in the passing game and at least get some quick and cheap and easy scores because right now it's looking pretty hard for them to move the ball.
0: Defensively, they held Tampa Bay to basically nothing on the first six drives. I mean, they didn't get a turnover. I think they only had one sack, but. In terms of pressure, confusion, holding them down—I mean, you know, uh, three of the points were directly from uh, that strip sack by Winfield that that got them the ball deep in Vikings territory, and the Vikings held there. They gave up obviously the two the touchdowns, kind of sandwiched around the the end of the second, early third quarter, and then the the long field goal. But you had twenty points usually will probably win them games in terms of what they give up. It didn't in this case. What did you see when you went back and looked at the the debut of Brian Flores calling plays and running this defense?
1: Yeah, the, the blitzing was as advertised. Um, I went back and double-checked, and, and the Vikings blitzed on 21% of their plays under Ed Donatel last year, and, and that number, according to ESPN, was 47%. That's huge, yeah. On, on Sunday, and that was more yeah, more than double. Harrison Smith blitzed six times by himself. He had just 13 pass rushes last wow. year yeah. the entire season. So they're getting these guys involved at the line of scrimmage. The first half, it certainly worked. Baker Mayfield was one of six for six yards against the blitz in the first half. Uh, the Bucks were trying to run the ball and push the ball downfield, and that wasn't working. And what Todd Bowles and that staff did was adjust that quite a bit at halftime, and the Vikings did not seem ready for it. After halftime, it was a lot quicker throws, a lot of quick outs, little hooks and stuff like that. Um, Finding the outlet in the flat, the screen game for the Buccaneers was working a lot better than it was working for the Vikings. Um, They should have probably even had another touchdown to Evans on a kind of quick slant that he just dropped when a Caleb Evans was playing really off coverage. And what stood out to me was they could get the pressure in the first half when they had some time. When they didn't have the time in the second half, they still lined up everybody at the line of scrimmage uh showed 7 they often dropped and only rushed 4 rushed 3 it did lead to some confusion for Tampa Bay where they didn't know who to block and then you would get some quick pressures but when you didn't it was too easy to throw against the off coverage that says to me that this coaching staff wasn't ready to put a very young secondary, a very young cornerback group in press man coverage. I didn't see a whole lot of that. I didn't see yeah. a whole lot of challenging receivers at the line. And these are very good receivers, obviously. Sure, But you've got very good receivers on Thursday night, too. And are you going to be able to trust them in, in, to challenge A.J. Brown, challenge Devonta Smith? If not, we might be looking at a lot of the same stuff if Flores still wants to pressure a Jalen Hurts as much as he did at Baker Mayfield. Now, maybe their game plan changes. Maybe they back everybody up a little bit uh, this time around. Maybe Marcus Davenport actually plays this game yeah. and gives them part of that four-man rush that he, he couldn't give them because he was out on Sunday. Um, to me, what stood out was just the coaching decision to kind of spread your defense out and give the Buccaneers kind of that five- to ten-yard range of just kind of easy completions. And we saw that on the final play of the game, the last play that the Vikings had a chance on when Godwin catches that 11 yarder on the sideline on third and 10, you needed to stop. They didn't get it because Makai Blackman and Harrison Smith were so far back that they couldn't close out and try to get to the sticks and get their guy. And I talked to Blackman after the game, it looked like Blackman was man-to-man because he was the one lined up across from Godwin. He said, no, I was actually playing the second guy inside thinking he was going to go deep on us. Uh, we were not expecting the number one receiver, meaning Godwin, to run that kind of a quick out route. So whether it caught the the coordinator off guard, it certainly caught the players off guard. Um, they just looked like they weren't prepared for Tampa making that adjustment and then throughout the second half weren't really able to counter it because... 12 of the 16 first downs for Tampa Bay came in the second half.
0: Yeah. I mean, they, they didn't, you know, they, they still didn't wind up with what more than 250 yards, but they got the touchdowns yeah. when they needed them. It was ball control, though. It, it they was. were just able to keep the ball
1: away from Minnesota, which, led to why the Vikings couldn't put up more than 17 points, in part because, you know, as well with the protection issues.
0: Yeah, I mean, because they punted with, like, four minutes left, and Tampa Bay never gave them the ball back. If they at least get a stop, if they get an incompletion on that ball to to Godwin, it's probably either going to be a long field goal or a punt, and they're going to have almost two minutes to try to go tie and win, and instead that's kind of the, the ball game, maybe kind of underscoring that the defense is improved, but maybe when push comes to shove, it's not all the way there yet um I mean as you think about let's maybe we finish here like we talked about they got Jalen Hurts and these good receivers on Thursday night Justin Herbert Patrick Mahomes and you know two of the next three games after that it doesn't get any easier it gets a lot harder than Baker Mayfield although you know Tampa Bay obviously has good receivers but it's going to get a lot harder for you know frankly for the Vikings offense and the Vikings defense and maybe that's the most alarming thing outside of a 20 to 17 outcome is that not just did not only did you lose the game you expected to win, you lost the game and now you've got a lot of questions coming up against some much better teams.
1: Yeah. And the Vikings youth in that secondary we're talking about, they had a lot of ups and downs. Like Josh Mattel has played a lot that he was their nickel back. Essentially. He was the fifth uh, defensive back when they played the pass. He had a great deflection on one pass and then he gives up a 28 yard touchdown to Mike Evans on another. Uh, you had black men's up and downs where we mentioned that the play there late Harrison Smith, not being able to get over there. We forget he's 34 years old. Yeah. Um, and then a Caleb Evans, I thought he played well in terms of his physicality his tackling, but he wasn't really challenged too much um, outside of playing some decent reps against Mike Evans. So I want to see, yeah, can this young secondary hold up once they're challenged more by a veteran quarterback who is going to throw at them where Mayfield seemed like he was just trying to take what the defense was giving him a little bit and wasn't too much on the attack. Like you mentioned, just 250 yards for Tampa, 150 of which came after halftime. They weren't prolific by any means. And so these offenses are going to get a lot tougher to face once that quarterback says, you know what? I like Mike Williams against Caleb Evans. I like Travis Kelsey over the middle against uh, Ivan Pace or whoever it's going to be. I I do think that these quarterbacks are going to try to pick these guys apart a little bit more than what we saw, which is obviously the scary part and is going to challenge uh, Brian Flores. And with Jalen Hurts, I don't know what you do because... No. It would be very NFL if the Vikings somehow managed to make this a game after losing to Tampa Bay. But at the same time... I don't think the Vikings are a very good run-stopping team because I don't think Tampa's a good rushing offense. No. I think I think that was just kind of two bad uh, sides meeting there. Uh, but Philadelphia is an elite rushing offense with Jalen Hurts. And I, I do wonder how the Vikings are going to be able to manage that because uh, in part why the Patriots were in that game against uh, uh, Philadelphia was because New England has a very, very good defensive front. New England's defense is very underrated, and they were able to at least hold the line of scrimmage in a way that I don't see Harrison Phillips, Dean Lowry, Jonathan Bullard. I don't see those guys doing that against Philly's offensive line. Uh, it, it could be a long night.
0: Where were the, three, the top three defensive picks they had from 2022, Seen, Booth, and Asamoa? Where are those guys? man seen seen made one of the worst
1: mistakes on he and it wasn't even on defense he's on special right. teams he's on the field goal block there at the on the 57 yarder at the end of the game and i went back and looked at this he wasn't on the initial field goal block team in the first quarter on the other field goal this was a different field goal block team that must have been playing for the fake maybe. Cause I think it was like fourth and
0: three. Yeah, and then and there was a long, f- and it was long too. It was 57 yards. So
1: yeah. So maybe they were worried about the fake. So they put an extra defensive back out there who was Lewis seen? And then all of a sudden cam Bynum crosses his face to go to the other side. And I don't know if he thought cam was like late coming onto the field Seen just left. He just <laughs> bolted to the sideline and immediately Jordan Hicks, <laughs> um, Jay Ward, all the teammates just throw their arms of like, what are you doing? No. And they had to burn, the Vikings had to burn a timeout yeah. before that field goal because Lewis seen just abandoned and left them with 10 guys on the field. That then leads you to helping Tampa Bay burn the clock out. So that's where Lewis seen was. Andrew Booth wasn't on the field outside of special teams. Brian Osamoa got two snaps, um, getting outplayed yeah. by Ivan pace. I, I shouldn't even say that um, Asamo, uh, um Asamoah, as it should
0: be pronounced. Right. Yes.
1: Wasn't. Uh, didn't get a chance. He got just two reps. And yeah. o- Kevin O'Connell was asked after the game about that, and O'Connell said, "Ivan earned the right to be on the field." Now O'Connell's not the one making that decision. That's a rotation decision by Flores. Mike Saravo is linebackers coach, so they're the ones that could truly answer for that. But. Yeah, they went with Ivan Pace and didn't let up. And and to to the coach's credit uh, and Ivan's, he actually played pretty well outside of the very end. um, The the third down conversion before the final third down conversion where Baker scrambles for a first down on like third and four. And Pace seemed to have had a shot at like leveling him, but instead kind of lets up and tries to grab him around the shoulders. And that allows Mayfield to kind of cut in for the first down. Right. Um, that seemed like kind of a rookie mistake there. Maybe he was worried about a helmet-to-helmet a helmet sure. hit on a qu- quarterback. I don't know. Um, but either way, the the young guys had their lumps. And then, as you mentioned, the 2022 draft class couldn't even get on the field.
0: We got two snaps between the three of them. That's not good, Quasi. Not good, Quasi. We'll see you though, um, Andrew. Appreciate it as always. We'll do this again. Uh, I don't know if we'll do it next week or not. Maybe we will. Kind of have some time to digest that Philly game and get ready for the next one but uh, appreciate it as always and we'll talk again soon sounds good mike thanks good stuff from andrew and i just think this is going to be a tough matchup against the eagles i mean that's pretty obvious since that's the team that went to the super bowl last year but this is a team that gives the vikings a lot of looks that they probably will struggle with they you know stopping the run against a good running team led by a running physical um you know dual threat quarterback The the Eagles have plenty of weapons on a wide receiver. And on the other side of the ball – they're going to really stress the Vikings up front, especially if Garrett Bradbury and Christian Darrisaw. It sounds like Bradbury is going to be out almost certainly. Darrisaw limited um, would be limited in practice. If those guys can't go, or if or if, if Darrisaw is uh, is not is not looking great, um, it's going to be a, it's going to be a long night. They're going to have to figure out ways to move the pocket to get, like Andrew said, some of those cheap, quick scores because I don't think they're going to be able to sustain drives against Philadelphia, but. The risk-reward with that is you can get a lot of three-and-outs if you're going for a big play. So I'll be watching for that on Thursday, and good stuff, as usual, from Andrew. Back for another season of one of the most talked-about segments on Daily Delivery, Vikings Poetry with my good friend Keith Rashad. Vicus, we call these um, the only way to properly express how we and you feel, uh, Keith, about these games is through uh, through the, the artistic expression of poetry.
2: That's absolutely right. Let me just tell you, I am so so excited to be back for the least popular segment on it's, your podcast. You know, it's not
0: yes. the it's not the least popular. I framed it as one of the most talked about um, segments on this show. So, let's... well, it,
2: look, look, you we've known each other for about thirty five years now. Right? Yes, Something that's true. That's, that's actually true. <laughs> which which means that you know full well that I am in no way, shape, or form bothered by the fact that nobody actually, likes this segment.
0: No, you actually enjoy it. You kind of relish in the any you'll take any feedback, but especially the negative. It just drives you, it, it fuels your art, I think. You and well, Taylor Swift you and Taylor Swift. You just the hater the haters are just fueling your craft
2: yeah it just it just cracks me up to think that there's somebody out there sitting there thinking, Well, this guy doesn't know anything about football he he just <laughs> writes poetry was what does he do? He doesn't crunch the all twenty two film like I do like a normal reasonable human being no, no I like no. I like that,
0: but it but I will say that when I asked for feedback on this show, like you know several months ago. This specific segment got brought up many times, sometimes in the context of, man, I wish you wouldn't do that, but sometimes in the context of, hey, I really like that. I look forward to that every week. So it is in this business, if you have something that's kind of, quote unquote, sticky like that, that's memorable, we got to keep doing it. You know, Plus, you're my really good friend, so I want to keep doing it. Well, all right, let's do the first haiku. Okay, what do you got?
2: The season's first week Mm -hmm. is always the stupidest,
0: just like the Vikings. Well... I mean, here's the thing, like we, when we did this, we've done this all three years now. Um, The first year it was a longer segment. Last year we kind of truncated it down to just the poetry. Um, And, but last year it was overwhelmingly positive, right? Like it was even in the first week they went out and trounced the Packers last year was like 23 to seven or something like that. It was an easy breezy kind of win. And there just wasn't a whole lot of, you know, not a lot we could take the scalpel to last year, even as they were kind of just escaping. Um, but your larger point being, week one, you, you maybe you try not to take too much away from that. Are you giving them a little bit of grace here with that, with that, with that poem?
2: Well, I have long held and truly, truly believe that you cannot tell anything about the NFL season from the first week. It is always the strangest and silliest week of the year, and particularly nowadays when teams seem to treat the preseason games as nothing, right? So your starters don't even see the field. It's kind of like college football nowadays, right? Where everybody just starts and it's crazy for a little while, while everybody gets their feet under them. And it's part of the reason why perhaps that say PJ flex teams are always look terrible for the first few weeks and then seem to get stronger as the season goes along. And so you really just cannot tell anything from this first week. And and I believe that wholeheartedly and we'll see uh, where this season goes, which gets into the haiku number two.
0: Well, let's just go right to it. Cause I think, I think we made our point on that one.
2: A sea of despair. Dare we let ourselves still hope burn it to the ground.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, th- this is the, this is the duality that I face all the time of, Reaction. What's the proper level of reaction? Like you know, and in in baseball or the NBA, like if you treat every game like it's fire and brimstone, like you you're gonna weigh yourself out. But the NFL, like even if you shouldn't, or even if you should, take a step back and say, all right, it's just one game. If they don't do, if they don't do the stupid turnovers, if they don't, if Ed Ingram doesn't accidentally knock the ball out of Kirk Cousins' hand, if you know, if they don't have the interception at the end of the first half, they probably win that game. And if they even if they win it kind of ugly. Um, versus, hey, like you lose a game like this, it's going to be infinitely harder, infinitely demonstrably harder to make the playoffs because this was a win. You were a this was a game you were imagining banking in the win column. I think Tampa Bay is not terrible, but they're definitely rebuilding. They were a bad division winner last year. They've replaced a Hall of Fame quarterback with Baker Mayfield. Like this is a game you expect to win. So when you lose a game like that you know, I'd say if your playoff odds at the start of the game were maybe a coin flip or a little bit better, all of a sudden they're probably down to like 25 or 30% with just one loss.
2: So last year we called it the season of whimsy, right? Because yes. it was just silliness and yes. crazy wins and all this yes. fun, goofy stuff that you were talking about after the first Vaiku. Okay, But you tell me this, tell me this. What on this team from last year has been fixed name one thing name one single thing about the deficiencies from last year's team that has been fixed
0: they fixed one thing I will give you the one thing they changed their defensive coordinator
2: and to to what avail right I mean
0: the defense was better in this game against Tampa Bay I don't know what they're going to be for the course of the year and I don't know if They have the personnel to be better, but the the looks they looked more competent on defense against, admittedly, a bad offensive team. But the personnel, they have upgraded nowhere unless you think Jordan Addison is a significant upgrade over Adam Thielen, which, you know, at this stage of career, he's at least a different kind of receiver. And they have TJ Hawkinson for the whole year, but the offensive line is completely the same. The defense has, you know... Nobody that I they have Daniel Hunter and a bunch of guys who are kind of spare parts. You're right; they have not upgraded. I don't think in any real area outside. I would argue of defensive coordinator.
2: So burn it to the burn ground. it to the ground. Yep. So just, just... fire Brian Flores. Yeah. Bring back Ed Damatel. Wow. Demote uh, Kevin O'Connell to offensive hmm. line coach. Wow. Right. Uh, trade Kirk Cousins. Okay. Right. Trade Jordan Addison. Yeah. Okay. Trade TJ right Hawkins. Now. Yeah. Cut. Cut what'd you, what'd at least six him? offensive. What did you linemen. call him? TJ Hawkinson?
0: I thought you called him TJ Hawkins. Okay, go on. <laughs> okay.
2: How dare you, sir. I've never messed up anybody's <laughs> Go of on, name you're on, on a roll. You're on a roll. Go on. You're on a okay. roll. Okay. And you know, I am I am increasingly convinced of the, the fact that um Quasi Adolfo Mensa is gonna be really, really good at his second job.
0: Yeah. Right? I he's mean,
2: working out the kinks on this one. He's making the mistakes. He's trying things out. He's getting his feet wet. And I think he's really going to learn from it <laughs> and really be great at that second job.
0: Well, Andrew and I talked about on the film review just a minute ago that their, their top the top three picks they spent on defensive players last year, Lewis, Scene, Andrew Booth Jr., and Brian Asamoah, um, they played a the combined awesome that's that's how we're pronouncing it now they played a combined two defensive snaps on sunday even though they were all uh presumably healthy for the game so that's not great that's not maybe great drafting to this point although they have a lot of really cool undrafted free agents so we're happy for them
2: yeah really happy about that right? okay gonna be great at that second job yeah. i have real faith in him
0: <laughs> go on like like u three please
2: all right lots of turnovers Blame for all except J.J. Truly offensive.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Like, here's the thing. They played kind of at this level in a lot of games last year, and they still won. Um, the difference in this game was, was probably boils down to the turnovers. They lose the turnover battle 3 nothing. You know, one of those turnovers is deep in their own territory, leads directly to points. Two of them are in Tampa Bay territory and take points off the board. Like, if you if you hold serve or at least or even a minus one in turnovers, you probably win this game by like four or seven. And everyone's like, yeah, okay. The offense has got to get better. Yeah. This, yeah, that, but it's kind of like last year where it gets sugar-coated and you're still winning.
2: If one of your offensive linemen strip sacks your quarterback, yeah, that's bad. That's not what you want.
0: Not the desired out outcome. Team. No, not that, the, And that, and Ed, and Ed Ingram is a problem. Speaking of the things that he didn't fix they had every opportunity to say, you know what? Um, also, by the way, uh, second round pick from Quasi's first draft. Well, uh, you have every opportunity to upgrade here and you didn't. And so maybe year two of Ed Ingram is not this leap forward that they hoped. But yeah, you're right. Uh, we hadn't seen him do a strip sack yet. So that was something he added in the offseason, I guess. Yeah,
2: that was something new. Was something, so yeah,
0: exactly. you're looking you're- for upgrades, he's now strip sacking his own quarterback. And,
2: and you know, getting back, Essentially, to the earlier point that you were making, yes, the the one one upgrade they made was that defensive coordinator, and so yeah, they perhaps they looked functional on defense, or at least not they at least looked, they like at least looked
0: interesting. They at least made it hard for Tampa Bay to know what they were doing.
2: But then that clearly and obviously means that it was the offense that lost this game.
0: It was. I agree. Yes, it was. With
2: the the turnovers and the. The still just awful offensive line. And so we know where the blame lies really for
0: this particular yeah, game. We do. I agree. Burn it all down. What's your last one?
2: It's embarrassing. Billion dollar industry, industry, fix your stupid app.
0: <laughs> You've complained about the app before, but you didn't get to watch this game the way you wanted to watch it. Cause usually you watch like the condensed 45 minute version, but you're telling me this was not available in week one.
2: Well, so they usually, last year, once they finally got it fixed, they <laughs> they had the 45-minute version pretty much right as soon as the game was done so you could watch it right away. Yeah. And then this year, I opened up the app, and I it happened to be about four hours after the game when I could finally sit down sure. and try to watch the game. Yeah. Uh, and in the past, the 45-minute cut was usually somewhere from four to two to four four hours after, right? They took some time to edit it. Whatever, whatever. Okay, who cares? Four hours after the game, I open it up and I can't access Mm. the the 45-minute version. And so then I had my late night old man hockey game and I had even, I I had found out that they had lost, but I was still going to watch it anyway (laughs) because I have that level of dedication to this this podcast segment.
0: Yeah, I believe, I appreciate Uh, that.
2: Yeah, I was going to watch it anyway. And it's like close to midnight and I still can't access Mm. this thing that's supposed to be ready in two to four hours after the game. And I just hate, I hate that we have to tolerate the incompetence from this stupid billion dollar league because they happen to be football. Just drives me nuts. And I'm not going to go too much on a rant on this because last time you cut me off and you wouldn't let me speak truth to power. (laughs) So I won't I won't go too crazy about this one, but it just drives me nuts. Just make your app work, you stupid league.
0: Yeah, that would be frustrating. I mean, I not as frustrating as watching all three hours live as I did. But is it is it available yet? I hope they get this smoothed out for your sake. Now, well, I don't,
2: I don't I, look, man. I don't know if it's available yet because I, and yeah. I'm not gonna know because yeah. I am not watching no this more. game.
0: The segment's done. It's what's done is done. Now Thursday's game is on Amazon Prime Video um for your for your pleasure so i don't know how that's going to work for you in your app but uh i don't know how that's going to work for you
2: well like most people i've got the stupid amazon prime so i'll probably sit and watch that dumb game even though it's well you know what the best part is probably over at halftime so i can get
0: some sleep anyway and then and then burn it all down if they lose you know don't overreact to week one but if they lose four days later feel free to overreact Hope you enjoyed that segment. And if you didn't, probably won't be a Vaiku this week because of the weird schedule of the week. And I'll be in North Carolina for a few days. That's a good programming note to... On Monday next week, it's kind of a coincidence, but Roycey is out, and I'm going to plan on doing kind of an all gophers, uh, gophers podcast off of that game in North Carolina that I'll be at with a bunch of my friends. So different kind of show next Monday. Plan accordingly. Please still listen, even if, even if our favorite and your favorite, Patrick Roycey's is not on. It should be a fun, fun show probably get some some of the atmosphere and environment from north carolina in there things like that so that will be monday next week as we kind of deal with a weird week with the vikings playing on thursday and patrick being unavailable next week and let's finish with the cooler quick twins lose to tampa bay Guardians also lost, so the division lead still looks very good. Only concern I have is the Twins, you know, against good competition this season. They've been a little bit up and down. They have not beaten Tampa Bay in four tries this year. It would be nice to get one of these next ones to feel a little bit better about yourself. The biggest thing these last two games have underscored, I know it's against two. Pretty different opponents, but Pablo Lopez against the Mets was absolutely dominant on Sunday. Sonny Gray battled his butt off in this game. They needed 89 pitches to get through four innings against Tampa Bay. Only gave up two runs, gave the Twins a chance. It was more the bullpen's fault in 7-4 loss than it was Sonny Gray. But this underscores to me the difference that Patrick and I talked about Monday between Sonny Gray and Pablo Lopez. Pablo Lopez looks like he can go seven or eight innings against anybody on any given night. Sonny Gray might give you six but he might give you four or five. That's a much better guy to have starting game two rather than game one. So I want Pablo Lopez if I'm the Twins as my game one starter, Sonny Gray as my game two starter, and then all hands on deck if there's a game three, a deciding game three in a playoff series in that first round. So that's my opinion on that. Hope you guys have a great rest of your Tuesday. Randy Johnson expected to join me on tomorrow's show for some Gopher football talk, setting up that North Carolina game, looking back on that eastern michigan game until then i'm michael rand we'll talk to you later